Good morning and welcome to the Mr. Elvin Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Montrum. It's Thursday, March 23rd. And it sounds like it's raining. Joining me on the other end, Matt Pearl. Hey, Matt. I am only happy when it rains, Jamie. Did you get around to seeing Captain Marvel? No. Gosh no, darn it, that reference would have would have worked much better. Uh, I'm only ha- who's singing? Is that PJ Harvey? No, garbage. Garbage. Oh, I should have had that. Damn it. You really should. That was very off-brand for you. Yeah. Well, I didn't like garbage. I just remember that as a song from the well, '90s. Well, fair enough. So does Captain Marvel. So we're we're uh, all on the same page here. Yeah. Um, I kind of like that rain in the background. Reminds me of like my meditation app. Which meditation app do you use, Jamie? It's the off season. No, it's funny. I started using the Calm app like two or three weeks ago. I've never tried meditation before, but you're like the 80th person that I've told. I, I feel like meditation is kind of like running a marathon. Like it didn't happen unless you tell people about it. Yeah, very similar. Also, uh, Peloton and Keto are the other two things that fit that bill. Peloton and what was the other one? Uh, doing the Keto diet. I don't even know what that is. Better not to ask. Someone will tell you soon enough. <laughs> well, I, I don't live in a major metropolitan area, so maybe I have another six months. I, we, you can only hope. I wish you a whole year. Uh, all right, so you called this meeting to order. I don't know why. Well, it's, it's the Emergency Landon Collins podcast. Oh, yes. It's still an emergency. You're declaring an emergency two weeks later? Absolutely. Well, to be fair, we had genuine uh, personal uh, emergency might be a bit much, but personal stuff. But, you know, like, come on. It's a podcast. It's two people talking about something. If I want to slap the little siren emoji and call it an emergency, I'm going to do it. And this is an emergency Landon Collins podcast. All right. So let's start with Landon Collins. Uh, he got a lot of money. He sure did. <laughs> were you happy? I feel like you were, you were uh, like, on, you were on the table for Landon Collins. I was. I was standing on the table in the room for Landon Collins. Man, he's yeah. my guy. Um, I'm happy in that I think it is a good free agent signing at a position of need of a young player with proven track record uh, at, you know, market price. And, and, and it drives me crazy when people are like, oh, it's so much money. And like, so next year, whichever safeties are free agents will sign for more than that. And then it won't seem like so much money. So that doesn't worry me. Um, it seems like a good move. Uh, it probably jacks them all the way up to, you know, eight or nine wins. Um, I, I have some thoughts on this. So Landon Collins got six years, $84 million. Uh, that's what, like a $14 million annual average? Something like that. Uh, it, I forget what he got guaranteed. It was like $40 million or something like that. Um, and, you know, as a fan of the team, I'm, I think I'm glad about it. Like, they just got their best safety in years. And... There's all the feel-good stuff about, you know, him and Daniel Snyder having a good weep over Sean Taylor. Um, but what was kind of gross about it to me was this difference of opinion from, like, the national media who are handing out free agency grades. And the consensus seemed to be, like, Landon Collins to Washington for $84 million over six years was a C, like a C-plus the C minus sort of range. But then locally, there was all of this. I, it felt kind of like fawning over how amazing the, the cap structuring of this deal was by Eric Schaefer and what a steal it was and how this isn't the same old offseason champ Redskins. This was a really smart move. 
I don't know. Maybe maybe the uh, the true analysis of the film, the accurate analysis, is somewhere in the middle. Well, I mean, I think as boring as it is, the answer is almost always somewhere in the middle of any two extremes. But I, I do think there's two things at play. One is the C plus grades. Like I, I noticed Barnwell, uh, you tweeted out. Uh, gave it a C plus and I obviously I read him as well like you I enjoy Bill Barnwell's work um, but if you go back and you reread what he actually said most of what drags the grade down is the money and so if you assume that one way or another the money will work and I think I, you know Bill would know better than I would but I think if you look at it giving out a deal or two like this a large deal or two is survivable the problem comes when you try to do a whole off season of deferred money and crazy deals and whatnot. I don't, I don't see dragging the, I don't like dragging the grade down because of the money. To me, that's just really pointless. Um, The flip side is that locally every single off season, they, or maybe every two to three off seasons, I feel like they reverse course. Like, all right, we're going to sign only big names. And everybody's like, wow, look at all this talent they're bringing in. They're bringing in talent, off season champions. And then the next year they're like, just sign budget guys and try to bring in smart players to fill holes. And everybody's like, ah, look at the restraint off season champions. And so this is the latest, you know, pendulum swing on that. It's the same old, same old. Yeah. And I just, it just felt defensive to me by like the, some of the local guys. And I'm not going to like go too far into it because I wasn't paying super close attention. (laughs) This is just kind of the vibe that I got. Well, Um, when you have your emergency podcast two weeks later, you don't, you don't have the luxury of hot taking it. But I will say on the off season champs tip, like, the Redskins are off-season champs until they win. Like, until they're consistent winners, to me, they're off-season champs. Because calling a team, like, an off-season, the off-season champs is basically like, you guys are losers. And the Redskins are losers. It's, we're not that far removed from some pretty ridiculous off-season moves. I'm not going to say that Landon Collins was one of them. But, like, you know, trading three first-rounders for RG3 is, like, a wild swing that didn't end up working out. Uh, like, giving Josh Norman the biggest cornerback deal in, in the NFL is, you know, a pretty big offseason move that hasn't, it hasn't been a bust, but I would say it hasn't worked out. Um, and we're not that far removed from, like, trading for Donovan McNabb and giving him a big deal in, like, the first month of the season or the Albert Hainsworth thing or whatever. Like, all that, that stigma is still there. That stink is still in the building, and it's going to be there until they go to the playoffs a few years in a row. Well... Yeah, I mean, there's there's one the one minor issue with that is that McNabb and Hainsworth actually were a long time ago. Um, it was like ten years ago. It was like ten years about ago. a decade ago. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's a long time. Uh, it was it's about two lifetimes for me. So uh, I, I feel anyway. Um, yeah, but I mean, so what would you have them do? Uh, it's it's I, I like the move because you're going to do something. I thought this was good. I thought the Eric Flowers signing is an abject catastrophe no matter how you slice it. He could be paying them, and that would be a bad sign. Wait a minute, but if Flowers was one year, four million, like, that's not, it's a pretty low-risk maneuver. It's, but it's, it's a low-risk maneuver for somebody who is a demonstrably terrible player. I mean, like, uh, I will You're be, getting top ten draft value. Ooh, that's a good point. I didn't think of that. I can't yeah. wait for you. You number nine us. overall to the Giants. That was only three or four years ago. Yeah, same year as Brandon Scherf. Arguably, they took him because they had to swerve when the Redskins took Brandon Scherf as high as they did. But what, what, is, what is Flowers going to be? Isn't he like the backup tackle, guard, swing, lineman, whatever? He is. But to me, if you're going to criticize money in any way, uh, I would rather spend a lot of money on a good player 
than any money at all on a terrible player. Okay. All right. I'm going to meditate on that for a little while. Okay, cool. Uh, I'll let you fire up the app. Uh, no, but by the way, I'm kind of just like, I don't even know what I'm standing up for. I'm standing up for the Redskins' reputation as offseason champs. Yeah, you know, they're losers and Snyder's at the helm and Bruce Allen's the fucking GM. Like, they're offseason champs. <laughs> right. But if that's all we're going to say, we can just call an emergency podcast every week and you can say that, then we can yeah. hang up. But, um, but, but also, I'm totally fine with Collins. Like, I just felt like he's a good player. They gave him a lot of money. That seems like, a, to me, that's like a C-plus move. And I'm glad they made it. Fair. Uh, let me ask you this about offseason champions. Did you, to your mind, did you guys coin that term or at least coin it as applies to the Redskins? Or did you just um, market it? I don't think we coined it. I mean, if you went back in the Mr. Relevant archives, like, I don't know when the first usage of it was, but I have gone. I mean, and obviously we made like a, a T-shirt for it, uh, which is foretelling future career moves. I yes. guess, really. Yes. Um, but I, there is a really good list that we published in like, I don't even know what year, 2009. That was like the top 10 offseason champs. And it was like the moves, you know, and it was yeah. like Albert Hainsworth. But it went all the way back to like Jeff George. Yeah, um, it was it was a, it was a wonderful decade uh, in review. Yeah, man, uh, it is depressing when you frame it that way. I'm just yeah. gonna say that. Um, one move that I, I still I'm have conflicted feelings on, and, and I'm just surprised the Redskins have not made a move at wide receiver. So maybe it's like unresolved. Is the Jameson Crowder thing? Like, it's kind of like a. a a mini Kirk Cousins situation where like he was a very prominent figure in the past four years with the Redskins at various times showing lots of promise and lots of production. But then other times, like I think he like led the league in fumbles by wide receivers the last three years or something like that um, was inconsistent. And then he hits the free agent market and another team gives him pretty good money to leap a player that you drafted and developed who is, clearly like a useful NFL player has left the building. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I kind of feel like he's going to go on to have a good career. I've always felt that way about Crowder, but he also did get a considerable amount of money from the Jets. He got more, I think, than I particularly wanted the Redskins to pay him. It was um, three years, 28 million, 17 guaranteed. I, it, I think if you're a really good team, you draft and develop players and then always let other teams pay them. There is a rubric by which this is exactly what they should be doing. The problem is they don't have anyone, literally anyone at his position on the roster. I mean, I guess what's the kid's name from last year's draft? Uh, spent oh, the whole year uh, injured. Quinn, Trey Quinn. Yeah, that, I think so. He's it's somebody like that, something like that. Like, if that guy pans out, then you did it right. You did it the way the Steelers and the Patriots of the world do it. And that's exactly what they should be doing. The problem is they figured out the first part, but I'm not so sold on the second part. I think I'm on record as saying that Jameson Crowder was going to break Art Monk's record for franchise receptions. Well, that would be a miss, um, yeah. but not, not a terrible one. I'm on record as having said that I was sure that Jameson Crowder was going to wind up with the Patriots. Uh, and instead, that turned out to be Maurice Harris, which didn't see that one coming. Didn't, I didn't even catch that. Mo Harris is on the Pats now? Yep. Mo Harris is on the Pats. There was a brief flurry from the usual suspects uh, being like, oh, God, here it goes. Um, Crowder over four seasons with the 
Skins ended up with 221 catches, so just over 50 per. This is kind of interesting, and I think this speaks to like his. It was it was really exciting the first like couple years, and the last couple years were were disappointing. His catch rate over four years went from 75 percent down to 59. Now remind me, did he ever play with RG3, or was he entirely uh, Kirk Cousins? He was full. He was full cousins, and then last year, whatever last year was. Right. Well, I mean, uh, anybody's catch rate would have dropped last year. Well, no, Uh, but it went seventy-five, sixty-seven, sixty-four with cousins. So it was going steadily down, even during those three years where cousins took every snap. Interesting. I bet there's a reason for that, but uh, it doesn't really much matter anymore, I suppose. Yeah. Well, uh, and also, I mean, the the thing too is like my initial reaction to that might have been along the lines of what you were referring to, which is like, well, well, he got a lot of money and, you know, fairly well. But everybody's getting a lot of money. Like Eric Flowers, one of your four million is like nothing. It's in Landon Collins is obviously on the, on the high side with 84 million. But there's tons of guys getting that like 10 million annual average range. Guys like Crowder. Did you read the piece? I think it was by uh, your guy, Kevin Clark over at the ringer. Um, about how the middle class of the NFL is getting paid and the top tier is not getting paid. Did you see this piece? I did not, and I love Kevin Clark, but usually just for, like, snarky tweets. Yeah, well, this was a good combination of snarky tone and and analysis. His point was that, like, you can trade for an Antonio Brown or an Odell Beckham in the middle of a contract and get a pretty good deal because you're getting the contract from a year or two ago, which is probably top in the league but is now come to the middle. Um, or you can pay the going rate for the best available guy, maybe a Paul Richardson, for example, or you know whoever that's going to be this year at wide receiver. Right. And right. you're paying about the same money for much, much less production, um, which he views quite understandably as a major problem for the players because it means that the best players aren't really getting true value on the market, um, which I thought was an interesting point to make. Holy shit, I totally forgot... I just looked at Paul Richardson, Paul Richardson's contract. Can you remember what that deal was? I feel like it was forty million guaranteed, right? <laughs> well, no, it was forty million. Okay. Uh, guaranteed was twelve point five, no, sixteen point five. Okay. Um, but forty million for Paul Richardson. That dude didn't do shit last year. <laughs> well, he was injured. How? And, he, and he, <laughs> he had nobody throwing him the ball. And even when he had somebody throwing him the ball, that guy wasn't throwing the ball. So, like, true. That dude hasn't done shit ever. True. <laughs> you're, you're not wrong about that. Dude, he's five years into his career, and he's got 115 catches, 20 catches per year. He's got 10 touchdowns in five years. Well, that makes him the most proven wide receiver on next year's roster, so there's that. $40 million. What the fuck are they doing? His, his year, his last year with the Seahawks, he had 700 yards and six touchdowns. His career year. Catch rate, 55%. This dude has sucked his whole career, and you got forty million from the Redskins. I guess it just proves my point that everybody gets paid. Everybody gets paid. Yeah. Yes. In hindsight, oh, sure wish they had managed to trade for Antonio Brown or Odell Beckham. At any point over the past year, have you ever? Because like it's, I mean, the Redskins wide receiving core is much maligned. I think that's an accurate uh, <laughs> yes. way of describing yes. that, the receiving core. It's like Josh Doxson, Jamison Crowder, Paul Richardson. Mo Harris, it sucks. It's like one of the worst receiving cores. At no point has anybody ever looked at it and been like, well, maybe if Richardson breaks out, 
Well, on the other hand, if you look at it, you're like, well, assuming Richardson doesn't break out, then it's even worse. I mean, either people kept talking about Josh Doxson breaking out, and that guy's yeah. terrible also. Yeah. But, but he, we had that, like, that emotional tie to him or, like, kind of this, like, there's this disconnect between what he is and what he was drafted to be. Well, it sure appears that uh, whoever does the scouting on wide receivers for the Redskins may not be very good at that. Hmm. This is sort. This is sort of why I, I'm like regretting Crowder leaving. It's like even though he was a bit mixed, a mixed bag. <laughs> I I think he's going to be a good player, and I don't I don't know that about Richardson or Doc. I feel like we don't have any. Any good receivers or receivers that could be good? Richardson could be good. Doxon is never going to be good. Um, who else is even on the team? <laughs> Trey Quinn. All right. Trey Quinn's going to be good. Uh, yeah, he had nine catches last year. Who's the, um, the like, practice squad hope now that Simi Cobbs is gone? Who's the remaining one? Jesus, it is bleak. I'm just looking at guys that caught the ball last year. Do you remember a, uh, a guy named Jehu Chesson? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, just that he existed, but yeah, totally. <laughs> Michael Floyd. Oh, they Brian resigned Quick. Michael Floyd. I think Brian Quick got resigned. Oh, maybe it was Brian Quick that they resigned. God, the what a scrap heap. Yeah, uh, Michael. I'm sorry, not Michael Quick. Michael Floyd and Brian Quick uh, both entering their age 30 campaign. Uh, anyway, another player that we lost who got paid, who was a mixed bag his for you know during his rookie contract tenure with the Redskins. Preston Smith, fifty-two million over four years in the Packers. Actually seems a little low for him, to be honest. What I, <laughs> you on crack? <laughs> well look, once you were just talking about well, you you re anchored me by talking about Paul Richardson's deal and now I'm like, well Preston Smith is better than Paul Richardson. Like Well yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> <laughs> At a position of need. That's I, a good point. Yeah. So, so my, my mind is all over the place now. I listening, talking about those wide receivers or listening to you talk about the wide receivers, I, they have to take a wide receiver in the first round. Right. I mean, well, I don't like, is there a move to be made between now and the draft? Cause there was like AJ green smoke. I'm surprised they weren't. I mean, they were, I think they were reportedly in on Antonio Brown. Uh, but yeah, I'm surprised they have not made a big swing. Well, you and you saw the Stefan Diggs rumor bubble oh, yeah. up and get squashed, right? Oh, yeah. Did his brother like post on Instagram like something about Diggs and the Redskins? Yeah, a, po- a picture of Diggs in a Redskins jersey and like bring him home. And meanwhile, Diggs is over mm-hmm. on his account tweeting like shrug emojis and eyeball emojis and whatever the hell else. Um, so everybody made the obvious assumption. Uh, I think Stefan Diggs is awesome. I do too. I, if they had given up the first this year for Diggs, plus, I don't know, something else exceedingly high, I would have been totally fine with it. Oh, man. That's tough. I don't know what his contract situation is, but assuming he's, like, under contract for a few years. They just re-signed him last year. It would have been, like, an Odell Beckham situation. Oh, yeah. That feels firsty. At least. I I think it might have had to be a first and, like, next year's first or next year's second or something. Um, But, you know, the other thing um, to keep in mind is that we – also don't have a quarterback so excuse me i refer you back to our last episode the emergency case keenum pod yes where we where we agreed that we've got a fine collection of bottom of the barrel starters slash top of the barrel backups correct and that's all you need in this in this man's nfl 
that Case Keenum to Stefan Diggs that, you know, they had a, quite a connection two years ago. Well, my whole shtick in the last episode was actually that, you know, you, you, you try to reverse what cousins drag down in one place, have them bring it back up in the other. Bringing Diggs here would, uh, would go a long way towards actually achieving that. You know, I gotta, I gotta say though, I'm looking at Diggs. I feel like because he went to Maryland and because he had those huge playoff moments two years ago, his production is not, it's not on nearly to the level of like Antonio Brown, Odell Beckham, AJ Green. Well, sure. I mean, he's more like Amari. It's more like Amari Cooper. I mean, he had his first thousand yard season last year. It was barely a thousand yards. Over four years, he's averaged about 850. He's averaged about six touchdowns. Like, He's been a good player, no doubt, and I, th- I think he can be even even better than what he's been. But, you know, he's not a uh, – I don't know. He's not like an all-pro receiver by any means. Well, the, the, there is the argument to be made that you should be paying a guy for his forthcoming success, not for his past success. So yeah. you could make that argument. I'm not saying it's viable, but you could make it. I just – here's the thing. If you are, um, you know, Bruce Allen and somehow you don't punch yourself in the face every morning when you look in the mirror, uh, or you are Jay Gruden, or you are really anybody in the front office or coaching staff of the Washington Redskins right now, why aren't you trading away all of next year's draft picks? Because if you don't win this year, odds are good you're not going to be here next year. So why aren't you just scuttling that boat uh, to do everything you can to win this year? I don't know. Okay, me neither. Can we go back to Preston Smith? Sure, let's do it. Why are you okay with him getting $13 million annually? The dude had like two good games with the Redskins and then disappeared the other four years. Well, sure. But on the other hand, he's better than, for example, me. Uh, so I'm okay with it. I mean, I I just, I'd like, we drafted him in the second round. He, I'm, I'm going back in time here and looking at, his stats. He had eight sacks his rookie year. He had eight sacks his third year. He had four and a half in his second and fourth years. And that, that's what he's supposed to do well, right? Rush the passer? Uh, so theoretically, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Pro Football Reference doesn't list quarterback, uh, what do you call them, quarterback hurries for some reason. Kind of interesting. I feel like that's a stat that they should include. Sure. Because um, yeah, I don't want to base it all on sacks. I just feel like as a proxy for his production, he was not a very productive player. He was, I would call him a genuinely up and down player, but yeah. he, there were ups. He did have good moments. He was not a bust and not uniformly terrible. And again, I mean, the Packers are presumably paying as every team does, believing they can get more out of this guy. You know, at a minimum, they can get that out of him and they probably think they can get more out of him. And, Unlike when you bring people to the Redskins, they may very well be correct. Uh, it seems unlikely they're going to get less out of him than Washington did. If Preston Smith is worth $13 million a year, Kerrigan is worth the whole cap. Isn't, isn't uh, Kerrigan like three or four years older than Preston Smith? Well, that's, I mean, yes. I think if you were to project going forward, but just looking at past production, Preston Smith averaged six sacks a year for four years. He's not a rookie anymore. This is like four years of production, six sacks a year. Kerrigan has never had less than seven and a half, and he's had 13 three times. Right, but does he improve in years five through whatever, or does he hold pretty much steady? 
Now that's a good point. So years one through four, I'm just going to do quick math. He got, he averaged almost 10 sacks a year. Okay. Almost. That's true. In years five through eight, because he's played eight years now, he averaged 12. So he did get better. So if, if, if Preston Smith made a comparable improvement of say three and a half sacks and you got a 10 sack a year guy for yeah. 13 million, I think you'd be happy, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit of a Crowder situation. Like, I'd rather him be here, but it's a lot of money. Well, and it brings us back to Landon Collins, which is if Landon Collins' best years are behind him, then it's a huge overpay. And if Landon Collins were 29 or 30, then you would assume that, and you would assume it's a huge overpay. But what I think you have to assume is that as great as he was his first few years, we're coming into the prime of his career, in which case the money they paid him will seem like nothing. Um. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, on the fumble tip in this Kerrigan Preston Smith comparison, mm-hmm. Kerrigan has averaged two and a half forced fumbles for his career. He's never had less than two in a season. He's maxed out at five. He led the league in forced fumbles when he was. So like pretty, you know, big turnover uh, generating plays. Preston Smith has had one forced fumble in the last three seasons combined. Well that's less than ideal. I, I, I just, I, I just like, I don't know. It's a lot of money. You're really prospecting with Preston Smith. I, he just did not make a big impact with the Redskins. I mean, there's, I'm sure there's advanced stats and whatever that suggests he's going to break out. Uh, I was surprised by that deal. It's a lot of money. Let me ask you another question about Landon Collins, which you touched on, but I'm curious about. How does the Sean Taylor stuff strike you at this point? You tend to be a little more sentimental about this than I do. Uh. I don't know. It's just, I feel like it's a drum that gets beaten a lot. (laughs) Like every anniversary of his death or every birthday or, you know, like he just gets brought up a lot by the Redskins. And part of that, you could say, well, they're paying homage. It's appropriate. I don't know. I'm not really criticizing it. It just feels like a lot. Uh, but then every time they sign or draft or acquire or talk about trading for a safety, it comes up again. You know, it's like they loved Sean Taylor growing up. You know, well, no shit. Everybody loved Sean Taylor. He was like an amazing highlight reel safety. He was the meast. He was, you know, like everybody loved Sean Taylor. Right. Uh, and I'm, I'm kind of waiting for the day when, like, they draft a safety and he's like, oh, yeah, I didn't really uh, – I didn't really, wasn't really familiar with him. Well, we should be there now. I mean, I feel like Landon Collins has to be among the last of the safeties who can say I idolized him growing up. But what I found myself thinking as I listened to him talk, and I don't doubt his sincerity. Um, I don't doubt that he loved him. But there's part of me that's like, maybe you should be looking for the safeties who are like, you know who I loved was Ed Reed. Like, really liked that guy. Had a real long career, made a lot of plays, went to the Hall of Fame, uh, you know, was a real ball hawk kind of weird off the field i really model myself after that guy rather than being like you know who's awesome is the dude who blew up the punter because that's the kind of thing that i feel like people are talking about when they talk about sean taylor and i know there was much more to him than that many good plays and had uh, no doubt a wonderful career cut short but like i feel like when people talk about worshiping sean taylor what they're talking about is him blowing up the punter in the pro bowl that was a great play (laughs) 
like, I, I, I here is your eighty-four million dollars for thinking that. It, yeah, it's a lot better than like if Landon Collins was like, no, I mean Sean Taylor's nice, but my dog was Laron Landry. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Although here's something funny. I went back. Um, somebody, for reasons too stupid to go into, I dug through my own archives of when I used to write the blog for the Redskins. Um, I have a separate archive, which I backed up, figuring that someday they would either delete or lose all my pages. So I was digging through some real old shit and came across an article where safety's coach Steve Jackson was talking to me about how box safety isn't really a thing and everybody plays high and low and he doesn't understand why people don't understand what they're trying to do with LaRon Landry. And I was like, holy crap, man, like we are nothing ever changes. That's yeah, exactly the, the conversation around Landon Collins. Exactly. Yeah. It, yeah. Word for word. And it was bizarre to see it. It was also uh, in a, right after an article where uh, I, entered, I announced that they had re-signed uh, safeties coach Steve Jackson and hired a new offensive assistant by the name of Sean McVay. So did you, you win? How many, uh, how many Pulitzers did you get for that one? None, but I won a freaking award because when I talk about them signing Sean McVay, I made a joke about how he went to Miami of Ohio, uh, but never caught a pass from Ben Roethlisberger because he had arrived at the school after Roethlisberger had been drafted and wow. how that made me feel incredibly old. So I feel like I was really the first to the LOL. Sean McVay is this much younger than player X. I'm yeah. old. Like I really I've always like, said you're at the vanguard of the Sean McVay herd. There are so few things you can say that about, but I feel like this is definitely one. Um, um, you know? By the way, at least at the beginning, Laron Landry was my dog. Laron Landry is one of the single weirdest human beings I've ever interacted with, and I will always love him for that. Um, I feel like I've been maybe a, it, it was a little weird talking about Sean Taylor there and like being critical. I will say in like a genuine way, uh, I I think like the way that Daniel Snyder obviously has this kind of like really strong emotional connection to Sean Taylor, and like it was reported he gave Lennon Collins one of his last like. Sean Taylor autographed jerseys and they were both emotional. I mean, I bet that's really genuine. Like Daniel Snyder was very like present with Sean Taylor's family, his teammates, obviously like flying down to Florida. Like I bet that that is like, you know, very uh, powerful for him. And, you know, I, I respect that. It kind of humanizes the guy, even though he's evil and rich. I totally agree. However, I would argue that it is also the underpinning of what people's biggest complaint about Dan Snyder is, which is that he acts as a, a fan, as an emotional, um, you know, sort of crazy Redskins fan and not as a steely eyed, uh, cold blooded businessman um, for better or for worse. Right. And so. I think that would be fine. It, that would be fine for him to act that way if he just had a real you know, like person running the organization and not, not a pawn <laughs> uh, in, in Bruce Allen. Correct. All right. We're coming, I imagine, towards the end of the time we have to talk. So we need to yeah, have our emergency else? Bryce Harper uh, pod also. Oh, God. Um, so I had a weird moment yesterday, like a full circle moment, where I saw in the post that like Philly fans are coming by the busload to Nats Park for Bryce Harper's return on April 2nd. That's only like two weeks away. He's going to be playing at Nats Park as a Philly in two weeks. So the first time I ever saw Bryce Harper in person, he was a rookie and they were playing the Phillies. 
at Nats Park. And he got purposefully beamed by Cole Hamels because Cole Hamels is a guardian of like baseball, you know, right. rules and etiquette. Rules. Yeah. And this guy, Bryce Harper, he wore eye black. What an asshole. Anyway, he beamed him. And Bryce Harper worked his way around the bases to third. And Bryce Harper, age 19 or whatever he was, stole home on that motherfucker. It was incredible. Like, he got beamed on purpose by one of the most notable pitchers in the league. He's a 19-year-old, and he stole home. I mean, just think, like, it was shit like that that made me love Bryce Harper. It was those moments where, like, yeah, they never won a playoff series, and he only really had one amazing, majestic season. But he just did shit like that that was so fun to watch. And I really liked having him on the team, and I'm going to miss that. I agree with everything you just said, but I also think that all of him, all of that could make him really fun to hate. You know, it's not, it's not like if Art Monk or uh, Cal Ripken went to play for another team and you're like, God, the whole thing about this guy is that he was right. just like such a straight arrow. It's like Bryce Harper was always a Cobra Kai villain, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I still, I think I will now love to hate him as much as I loved to love him. I really enjoyed having him here. Um, and I, I think I'm okay with the departure. Yeah, I kind of, like, I don't know how I'm going to feel if I'm going to, like, suddenly hate him, like, turn on him. But I do like that it's going to juice the rivalry with Philly. I like that a lot. Um, and, you know, I didn't really want the Nats to give him $300 million. Like, Nor did I. The Nats are going to be fine. They have the number four prospect in all of baseball taking his spot in Victor Robles. And they've already got guys making 30 20 plus million dollars a year in Scherzer and Strasburg and they got to pay Rendon like you just can't have that many guys making that much money and even as fun as he was I don't think Harper helped them win that many games you Um, you also just went through all of that and unless I space out you didn't even mention Juan Soto well right well Soto is had the best 19 year old season ever and I'm not banking that that's going to happen again like this year. I mean, he's not, I don't think he's going to have this 20-year-old season ever. But, boy, he's really, really, really good. And he makes he made Harper a lot more expendable. Yep. All right. This concludes our emergency Bryce Harper pod. Uh, is there anything else by, we need to have by, an emergency? By the way, one, 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 one more highlight low light from that Nats-Phillies game I went to seven years ago. Uh-huh. Um, so busloads of Phillies fans are there in the crowd. Mm-hmm. And we're sitting in the right field stands. I didn't know if this was going to be like a Philly invasion beforehand. And I have my daughter, who I think was three at the time. It's her first game. We're surrounded by Phillies fans, drunken, had been bus loaded in, bust in from, from Philly. And Jason Worth is playing right field. It's his first season as a national after leaving the Phillies. And it was that day that my daughter learned to curse like a sailor. <laughs> a three-year-old just hearing – the Phillies fans at one point Harper I mean Worth tried to make a diving catch and he broke his wrist he literally broke his wrist and was writhing in pain on the field and the Phillies fans that are like leaning over my daughter to yell at him are screaming that he's fucking worthless <laughs> it was uh it was a really eventful uh regular season baseball game well that has me all ready for for baseball season to start yeah I'm pumped <laughs> I'm fired up uh, are there any other emergency topics? That it, doesn't, to... it doesn't sound like it's raining. and Maybe you've arrived at work. It, it is possible that I've arrived at my destination. Yes, sir. Okay, good. Well, have a nice day. It's good talking to you. We'll catch up, I don't know, around the draft. Yeah, oh, we can have an emergency draft podcast in May. Okay, see you. Bye.